You're listening to The Stock Universe with fund manager at New Deal Invest, Mass Christiansen, and the previous professional badminton player and now private investor, Matthias Boll. Welcome to The Stock Universe. We're living through an era of unprecedented change to our society as well as our economy. Make no mistake about it. Growth is not just a financial issue, it is a strategic issue. Welcome back, Simon and Jordan from Convecity. Yes, thanks for having us back. Yes, the first episode, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, we're really thrilled to have you with us again today here for for the second episode where we're gonna deep dig even deeper into uh, into the cybersecurity universe, if we can call it that. Yeah, it, and it was um, I learned a ton last time, and and um, I've, I've learned a ton preparing for this. And and today we're going to look at uh, network security. Last time you you uh, framed out four main areas of security uh, that we're going to be looking at each uh, separately in a podcast. And and today is network security, and then we're going to. Uh, look at, at the businesses that um, that are operating in in that space, both public listed and um, and non listed. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. So um, could you start out by by doing a little a short recap of uh, what we talked about last time, and then um, uh, uh, tell us about why network security is so important within cybersecurity? Right. So. Um well, in the in the last episode, we we kind of um, covered the the evolution of cybersecurity, um, and um, you know how how COVID in particular um, pretty much dismantled the prior paradigm of the castle and moat architecture that enterprises were were running their uh, with their networks. Um, and then, as you mentioned, we went on to cover the four key areas of cybersecurity, which is network security, security operations, cloud security, and uh, identity. Um, so, and yeah, moving on to network security and why it is so important within the larger cybersecurity space um, is because, well, essentially, network security is the first line of defense. Um, it comes in various forms, but essentially it is a checkpoint that intercepts and monitors all traffic flowing to employees and assets. Um, and the security software at this checkpoint will, um, if, if it detects a malicious connection, then it will simply block it. Um, a useful way to understand network security is, um, well, uh, broadly in a, at a high level, you could separate all of cybersecurity into two categories, and, and that would be prevention-based and detection-based security. And network security largely falls in the prevention category. Um, and it's largely prevention-based, whereas many other areas of cybersecurity are detection-based. Um, and Detection um, and response that enterprises have, um, it's very, very important to have. Uh, but if they only have detection and response without the prevention, then enterprises will find that they have many, many threats in their networked environment. Uh, so many that it would just be unmanageable and it would just be fraught with risk. So 
you enterprises, yes, they need detection, but they also need the prevention, the, uh, i.e. the network security, because it's very critical and radically reduces the number of threats that are um, that are present in a network em environment at any given time. Um, so taking it back to the castle and moat analogy that we used in episode one, um, kind of the, the guard or the guards at the entrance to the castle's grounds located at the moat. Just imagine a bridge going over the moat. The guards are, are at the entrance of a bridge. That would be prevention-based security. Um, and then we could say the king's henchmen or, you know, is like his loyal servants that are wandering in the castle grounds. They're walking around, uh, observing behavior, and they will alert the guards or um, respond themselves if they notice somebody there that shouldn't be there. So that would be like detection-based security. So I, I think it's just interesting to view cybersecurity if you're relatively new to cybersecurity, view it from a high level in that way. Prevention, detection, detection and network security largely falls in the prevention side. Yeah. One one thing I would like to add is that if, if you think about the 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 way how the cybersecurity industry that we have today and how was it originated. So you first have, you know, the malware, the viruses uh, coming out uh, back in the 1980s. And then, you know, you have to secure each endpoint device, meaning that you need to make sure that your operating system is safe. You don't have any malicious uh, software installed on your hardware. But then people uh, found that it's actually way more efficient to do the security from the network level to use the network security as the first line of defense. Because for example, if you have say 100 computers and you need to secure each computer, if you are using endpoint security, then you need to check each computer individually. But if you have a network firewall that connects to all of these 100 computers, then you no longer need to deal with the hassle of managing 100 computers. But you can just take a look at the chalk point of the network, which is the firewall, and then it's way easier for you to manage the malicious codes. And another thing is that for most of the time, you 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 don't really you're not that concerned about one device being infected, but you're more concerned about the the infected device cross over to other devices uh, because they often change it within your network. So if the virus has is segmented. You know, just like we have the social distancing during the COVID world, then one infected device doesn't matter that much. But if your network is not secured, then uh, one, you know, compromised device is going to affect uh, all of your computers. So that's the reason why network security is so important. And it's still relatively growing versus the endpoint security. Guys, we're going to talk a little bit about secure access service edge. Um, it's what everybody, all experts are talking about currently, but it's really hard for people to understand. Can you tell us what it is and how it works? Right. Yes. Well, um, if, well, if you can envision that network security is simply a checkpoint, then SASE, uh, which yes yeah, stands for Secure Access Service Edge, um, is is quite easy to understand. So before 
the castle and moat 1.0 and 2.0 era that we discussed in episode one the checkpoint was on the enterprise's own premises and it was managed by the enterprise with sassy the checkpoint is on the sassy vendors premises uh, which is a cloud location or also referred to as a point of presence and um we saw a rising demand for for sassy during covid especially uh, because this castle and moat paradigm completely crumbled um, and the reason it crumbled was because enterprises no longer had all their employees and all their assets inside the moat instead everything was everywhere employees were working remotely um, resources were not just on-prem but also in the cloud um, so yes this um completely um did, yeah uh, crumble this this paradigm uh, approach and despite the sprawl of employees and assets during covid um there, there were still many enterprises that continued to have their checkpoints on their own premises um however this creates higher latency and really poor user experience um because well, you could have a remote employee in Copenhagen, for example, and they're wanting to access cloud resources um, based in a London cloud. Um, however, their connection may have to traverse quite a long distance all the way to their headquarters and data center that might be in Madrid, Spain, go through that checkpoint and then be backhauled out back to London. Obviously, this is very indirect. So SASE is way more direct um, with sassy a sassy vendor might have a point of presence in hamburg for instance so in this example the connection would be copenhagen hamburg and london so a more direct um, faster performance and generally a better user experience so it kind, it's kind of similar to the way how Uber transformed the ride-hailing industry. So previously, before Uber, so assuming you are a company, you need to own your fleet of cars and the drivers. And it's perfectly fine if you live in Copenhagen and your user, your employees live in Copenhagen too. Then, you know, when, when, you are, uh, when your employee uh, you know, needs a, a ride hailing, you can just ask your internal, you know, corporate car uh, sent out to Copenhagen and they can get their transportation done. But now, assuming that your employee lives in Madrid, then you need to send your corporate car, uh, car from Copenhagen to Madrid. And then it's getting even more messy if your employee lives in the United States. Then you need to manage more cars, send more physical cars to the United States. But with the model like Uber, you don't. So everyone shares the, you know, right hailing resources within one city. So no matter who your company is, you share the same car with other companies, uh, you know, users. And this is a similar concept with SASE. It means that now you no longer need to go back to the security checkpoint owned by your company which may be far away from your user. Instead, you can figure out what are the closest security checkpoint closest to the user and that everybody, every company share their security checkpoint such that they can better utilize that security checkpoint and they no longer need to go back to their original security checkpoint, which can be very far away from uh, the, where the user is located. 
Can you tell us a little bit about the main components of SASE? Yeah, uh, I would say there are uh, two major components within SASE. So SASE itself is both a networking uh, function and also security function. So it has the networking side, which is provide the network, send one network packet from one place to the other. And there is also security side, which is that when during the transit, during the, the, the period between the network packet sends out to the destination, the SASE vendor has to screen, unpack the, what's going on within the network packet and get the security screened. And then within the networking function, there's something called SD-WAN that is figuring out what's the optimal path to send the packet to its destination and to accelerate the network performance. And for the security side, there are three major components. There is one called a secure web gateway, and the, the second called a zero trust network access, and the third is called Caspi. So the way how you can understand these three components is that SASE, at the end of the day, you want to secure the users. So for example, if you are a user, you have many outbound traffic. Uh, so one type of outbound traffic is you accessing the public websites like CNN, YouTube, Facebook. So these uh, outside websites access, internet access, will be sanctioned by the secure web gateway. And you also have the demand to access your corporate uh, data, data center and internally hosted applications within your uh, you are traditional castle remote, but you need to access it remotely. So ZTNA provides that secure access from the user to your corporate data center. And the third is the Caspi. What Caspi means is that historically, most of the business applications, they were hosted within your corporate data center. So in theory, you only need zero trust network access getting the access back to your data center. But what's happening now is that everybody uses uh, SaaS applications like Zoom or Google Suite. And these applications, they are not hosted within your corporate data center. So you need a dedicated security solution called Caspi to secure your access from the user to the third-party SaaS applications. So these are the major components of SaaS. Okay, I'll just uh, here comes the dumb guy, and um, and let's see if 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 I get it uh, so far. Uh, so uh, so SASE is is two components. It's um, it's uh, SD WAN, which is software def defined wide area network, uh, which is um, the networking part of um, of the the total solution, and then there is the security part where you have you have to secure both inbound traffic to the company and that's the uh, ZTNA which is zero trust network access which which ensures that everybody trying to access a company they get a secure um, um, tube uh, access so they can't sort of mess around inside the castle uh, but they are only allowed access to the application they are um, they are connecting to, um, and and it that's really what what it's called zero trust uh, networking. Is, uh, I I think, 
um, sort of that that you can't anyone walking in the castle you can't be sure they're okay if they want to go to the princess's tower they have to to be confirmed that they can go there so that's the inbound part and the outbound part is is a secure web uh, gate SWG and and that's about if if I sit in my company and and I I think I want to go to um, 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 a dubious site or I get an email that I find interesting and I just click the link and and um, this part of the security prevents me from from clicking on malicious links or uh, be a, a victim of phishing or something like that um, and then the third part was um, CASB. Cloud Access Security Broker, which is uh, about people in a company that they can't just um, they can't just access anything via the cloud. They they cannot just uh, access. We type in our uh, AWS password and access everything we have there. It's so it's it's the connection to the cloud from the employees. Uh, uh, what is my grade is, is uh, <laughs> you get an A star for that. That is bang on. Yeah, that, that was that, brilliant. That's good. Yeah. Can you elaborate yeah. a little bit on it? Uh, now um, the audience has heard it twice, so maybe <laughs> maybe they yeah, have a chance. Um, well, um, just just to take um, just to try and uh, articulate in a, from a different angle uh, the difference between SASE and on-prem. Um, one of the major differences is the location of the checkpoint, right? So with SASE, the checkpoint is on the SASE vendor's premises rather than the enterprise customer's premises. Uh, apart from the location of the checkpoint, the other major difference is that with SASE, as we've just discussed, uh, networking and security is converged together into a single technology stack. And this delivers a big improvement in performance and user experience compared to the on-prem approach that would entail service chaining individual appliances together for the various networking and security solutions, right? So SASE removes that service chaining of individual uh, appliances um, and converges everything into a single technology stack. and. This this is quite important to to appreciate because um, this delivers a much better performance and obviously a better end user experience as well. Um, so that's just um, yeah a different take on it, just a, a high level uh, difference between SASE and and on-prem. One one thing I may may add is that uh, the convergence of networking and the security is very powerful because previously uh, the two. Uh, are separated. So what it means is that networking is about sending one packet from one place to the other, and the security is about network security is about checking the networking packet during the transit. So previously these two processes were separated, but it doesn't make sense because, for example, when you wanted to send a packet, a physical packet, uh, to the postal service, and the postal service doesn't have the security check, and then the postal service has to outsource that security check to another uh, company, then it creates you know uh, tons of overhead and very inefficiencies. But if the postal service is able to uh, you know, have native security check 
uh, in their endpoint or in their you know point of service, then there is no need to have the additional security uh, screening that you need to send the packet to the other place. You can just send it straight away to its to its destination. So that is a, a very powerful mix. And then, then uh, talk a little bit about, uh, could we call this uh, security as a service? Because uh, now it's software defined. Could you talk about that concept? What are the advantages? That was what uh, Jordan was talking a little bit about before. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a very powerful uh, a new concept because, uh, you know, in a software, we have been uh, using software as a service, SaaS for you know quite a few while it's emerged like for more than two decades but the the concept of security as a service uh didn't come out uh as of late uh, a big reason why is because the security industry itself is moving very slowly and another thing is that i think um previously people were uh, you know living on prem they live in their castle mode so there's not that much demand to have a as a service product but now with the remote working and the cloud it makes sense for you to procure security as a service because now for example when, when you are trying to buy a network security product usually you have like more than 10 products to buy and you have to manage all of them and then maybe potentially you need to buy 10 hardware uh, appliances and, and then you need to plug in, plug all of that in within your data center. And you need to make sure that they are up for 100% of the time because if one particular hardware is down, it means that your entire corporate network is down. And as most of the company, they are digital first. Uh, one hour of that network downtime often means that you would lose, you know, tons of revenue, lose uh, tons of uh, customer satisfaction. So this is a non-stopper. So a better way to do it is that you don't manage the hardware or manage the product by yourself. You just outsource it to the vendor selling the solution because the vendor who sells the hardware knows the best about how to manage it, how to make sure that it doesn't go down uh, unexpectedly. So that is, I think, the powerful concept of uh, security as a service because it creates uh, easier value for the end user and you no longer need to be you know, uh, uh, trapped within the operational uh, complexity. Guys, let's move on and and talk a little bit about Zscaler. They were first mover and and rose uh, to early dominance. So tell us about their early SASE success. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I I think Zscaler it got started in two thousand and seven as a next generation secure web gateway company. So as we, as we have said, secure web gateway. The reason why we need a secure web gateway is to sanction the traffic going outside of your company or going outside of a user. And it's a big attack surface because for most of the time, when you click on a phishing link, it's often a, mini, a malicious website. So you need to maintain a list whereby you want to bang. So you want to see uh, these are the websites that one user cannot get access to. And the, the way how you do it is that previously people were just buying a specific uh, secure web gateway hardware within your uh, net, net, uh, headquarters. But then if you work remotely, uh, it's a big issue because every time when you want to get that list checked, 
you need to go back to your net, uh, corporate headquarters. And then what this scaler proposed is that instead of you building your own checklist and get your checkpoint working, uh, I will be building uh, the checkpoint in all major cities across the world such that no matter where you are, you can always make sure that you have a, a secure checkpoint nearby managed by Zscaler. And another powerful model is that it is able to enable multi-tenancy. So what that means is that previously, your uh, secure app gateway appliance has to be provisioned to the peak capacity. So what it means is that assuming that you have 100 employees within your company, when you are buying a secure web gateway appliance, you need to buy a big box uh, able to screen uh, 100 users concurrently. But for most of the time, you don't really have 100 users all accessing the website at the same time. So maybe the average uh, concurrent user is about only about 20. So it means that you have 80% you know, of idle capacity. So that is a big waste. And what this scaler is proposing is that instead of buying your own hardware, everyone is going to share the same security checkpoint. So that is able to smooth out the demand and you no longer need to over provision your hardware so you can gain uh, better economics out of it. Yeah, I, I, I'll just um, add a little bit about uh, Zscaler's uh, early dominance. So. Uh, their, their success has been phenomenal over the last few years, so you, you can't really take that away from them. But um, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, being negative towards them, but it's worth mentioning that Zscaler's success is, is in large part a case of being in the right place at the right time. Um, that is because um, even before COVID, they already had the best, most battle-tested, uh, cloud-delivered, secure web gateway. Um, that had proven very effective at protecting employees as they connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they dominated this field by quite a wide margin. So it was quite fortuitous when COVID came along and the lockdowns happened and everybody was working from home because suddenly the cloud-delivered secure web gateway was the most important part of SASE. And this was because knowledge workers, you know, they spend most of their work time using the internet, probably more so than using SaaS or internal applications, right? So now these knowledge workers are working remotely, it made clear sense to give them direct access to the internet rather than traversing their internet-bound connection on a detour to a faraway headquarters and data centers in order to go past that checkpoint in order to go uh, in order to then be rerouted to the internet. So um, because of that, um, the cloud, uh, the, the secure web gateway became the most important part of SASE and Zscaler had the best secure web gateway. So uh, that was a great tailwind for the company. And it also then gave them a very strong footing to then cross-sell other SASE services to its customer base, like, uh, is, uh, like Zero Trust, uh, for, for example. And and that was what was needed during COVID. That was uh, zero trust uh, network access as well. Um, and uh, absolutely. And they uh, so Zscaler. So they they, as Simon said, they started in two thousand and seven. So 
with their cloud-delivered secure web gateway. So the most well-known battle-tested cloud-delivered secure web gateway. But then in 2019, or just prior to COVID, they introduced their Zero Trust Network Access product. Um, so that wasn't as battle-tested, but it was still a, um, very popular when enterprises had to go to full remote working because, you know, enterprises still was hosting their internal applications in their data center. How do you give a remote employee access to an application in an internal data center when they're not on the network? Well, uh, zero trust network access is that solution. So that was a, a kind of a second wave for Zscaler's success as well. And so you don't want to take the success away from them, credit when credit's due, but it very much a case of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, well, one, one thing I would add is that the, the timing is great because Zscaler, you know, it, it has been taking them for like more than a decade to scale their revenue from zero to 100 million. But then in 2020, you got the boost from COVID-19. So that is the demand for secure web gateway. And then in 2021, you have the Biden administration promoting the zero trust within the government agencies. So you get that dual boost, one from the secure web gateway, the COVID in 2020, and then 2021 and 2022 for the zero trust uh, adoption. So that is, I think, also the reason why, because previously when after Zscaler's IPO, its revenue growth actually decelerated a bit to about 30% before the COVID hit. But then after the COVID-19, its revenue re-accelerated to more than 40%. And then after 2021, uh, the executive order from Biden, the revenue accelerated further to about 50% and then 60%. And that is a very big shock to investors because for most of the time, investors, when they are doing the discounted cash flow valuation, you always assume that the revenue is going to, the revenue growth rate is going to decay gradually. So that revenue re-acceleration is a very big expectation surprise. And I think that's also a big reason why share price has been performing so well in the past few years. We, we're going to allude more on it, but I think maybe here on Cscaler, Jordan, you you hinted that that you might not be um, be so uh, enthusiastic about their long term future, and and that's something about their uh, cloud access security uh, broker skills, and and maybe also that they they lack SD WAN. Uh, could um, could we talk a little bit about it here, just to touch on these topics numerous times? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So um, a, um, a lot of Zscaler's success um, has been because they've been closely aligned to Gartner. Um, we can discuss uh, the influence of Gartner in in a short while, but. Um, Gartner is a technology consultant and produces uh, research on uh, various markets within technology. And they do so in um, SASE. They actually created the, the, the SASE market. It was, uh, they unveiled that in 2019. And um, Zscaler has always been quite closely aligned to Gartner's definition, whether it's a cloud a secure web gateway or when SASE came out, it was always closely aligned to the market definitions and the, the technology definitions. And um, yeah, so they, 
uh, almost blindly and strictly followed Gartner. Um, and this was fine when Secure Web Gateway was and probably still is the most important part of SASE. But we think that over time, the, 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 the most innovative area of SASE is going to be, well, uh, the networking performance side of it, um, but also the, the CASB. Um, because the CASB technology incorporates a lot of um, data-centric uh, approaches to security, which is becoming increasingly important as we see a continued exponential rise in data in terms of velocity, the, the volume of data, the variety of data. Um, and um, Z, uh, Zscaler, um, because they've just been following Gartner, uh, seems to have have missed this this development because Gartner's not really been pioneering as such on this data side of the equation. Um, so you we have uh, vendors like Netscope, for instance, that um, hasn't necessarily followed Gartner as strictly as Zscaler and developed their own vision, which is a very data centric one. Um, so we think like Netscope and also Palo Alto are in a better long-term position if CASB and data-centric approaches become more important. Uh, one, one thing to add is that you, you, you need to think about the company from a historical perspective. So Zscaler, it was started as a secure web gateway company, and it has been a secure web gateway company only uh, for like more than a, for more than a decade. So that's their gene, that's their DNA. So when it comes to other components within SASE, that's the place where it doesn't have huge amount of R&D know-how and years of investment in. And it turns out Caspi is their one potential weakest spot because Caspi, they only, Zscale, they only introduced their related Caspi offering as of 2021 and then uh, in 2022, but still it's a pretty weak product. And because they, they wasn't, Zscale wasn't started as a Caspi company. While, for example, for Netscope, it was started as a Caspi company. And another issue is that it seems like now in 2023, the two major components of uh, SASE, uh, Secure Web Gateway and Zero Trust Network Access, they seem to be fairly commoditized, which means that most of the players, they have a pretty good SQL Web Gateway solution. They have a pretty good CTNA solution. But then, then the differentiation comes to Caspi. So it comes to who has a better Caspi. Well, everyone, uh, you know, uh, has a pretty good SQL Web Gateway, has a pretty good CTNA. Another thing to consider is that uh, security product, when you are buying the security product, you always think about uh, the attack service and the asset that you want to secure. So previously, uh, most of your business applications, your critical data are stored within your corporate data center. And the SaaS adoption was kind of like a small, a, a very slow uh, grind for the past two decades. And now we are, we are kind of hitting the inflection point in the sense that uh, in 2022, more than 50% of your business application and critical business data, they are now stored in SaaS, which means that it live outside of your uh, data center. So that's the place where the importance of Caspi is going to be even higher in years to come. 
John, and before you, uh, you briefly mentioned uh, Palo Alto Networks, and, and that's actually a company we're going to talk about now because it's rising to compete with, with Zscaler. So maybe you can just briefly introduce us to Palo Alto Networks and then also talk a little bit about their pathway into to SASE. So Palo Alto Networks it got started as a firewall company. So that's the kind of, you know, old old way of doing the network security, which is to sell the hardware, the physical hardware. So many people believe that this is a very bad indicator for the growth investors because this is a very old company with a very old architecture. But what it turns out is that if you dive a, a deep further, you will find out that Palo Alto Networks, they actually totally transformed itself after 2018. Because after 2018, they changed their CEO, they changed their president, chairman, and almost every executive, ex- uh, executive ex- excluding uh, the CTO, who is the co-founder. So you have this powerful combination of the new management with a new vision, plus uh, still the co-founder is within and holding the check for the best technology quality. And one more amazing thing is that they hired Nikesh Arora, who was the second-hand-in-chief behind the great success of Google in the early 2000s. So you know that this guy is very serious about the next uh, role that he's going to have to pick in. So unless he has a big confidence in the company, he won't choose it. And he also was the second-hand-in-chief of SoftBank, which is a venture capital firm and a telecom conglomerate. So he knows which startup to buy. So after uh, being uh, coming into Palo Alto Networks as a CEO, he immediately did a quick analysis of where they should be and where they need to own better technology assets and talent. And then they immediately uh, look out to the market and they bought 18 startups, all with very promising uh, founders. And what's even more amazing is that if you think about other companies like uh, Cisco or Juniper, usually when they buy the startup, they, they just buy for the product. They don't buy the talent. Usually their co-founders will leave the company two years after the term is expired. But for Palo Alto Networks, they not only acquired the startup, they also gave these acquired founders a greater role in their respective product. And they further empower these founders with their existing sales and marketing machine because back in 2018, Palo Alto Networks uh, was, and still now, is the biggest network security vendor. So they can cross-sell their new security product to their existing customers. So you have a powerful combination of sales and marketing and a powerful boost from the research and development. So at the end of the day, Palo Alto Networks is able to bring up a very next generation architecture built from 2018, while Zscaler lives off the technology where it built since 2007. So that is a 180 degree different narrative compared to the consensus view if you don't dive deep into Palo Alto Networks. Yes, and in regards to Palo Alto's early SASE success, yeah, you could largely attribute it to the very strong leadership of its CEO, Nikesh Arora, as 
Simon put, pointed out, he has C-level experience at Google and at SoftBank, and he's made some very bold bets. And really, to transform Palo Alto um, from just a kind of almost a dead-end network security player in 2018 um, and expand into adjacent markets and become a key SASE player, um, Nikesh Arora needed to make some bold, bold moves. And so be, before COVID, Palo Alto, they had early forms of SASE technology. And bear in mind, they are arguably the, the best at network security. So it was always going to have decent uh, early forms of SASE technology. However, they, they didn't have a global network. So the likes of Cloudflare and Zscaler and even Netscope, they, have, they own their own global network. Um, however, Palo Alto didn't have that. They had decent early forms of SASE technology, but they couldn't run it because we didn't have a global network. So how was we going to get that overnight uh, during the early beginnings of the pandemic? Well, they, they wasn't going to be able to uh, unless they leveraged uh, another global network. So they, they leveraged Google's global cloud network and quickly beat, uh, built up these points of presence across the globe in order to um, serve this uh, SASE platform. So that was crucial uh, for Palo Alto's early success. Without doing that, they may have got left behind. Um, the, the, the issue, the, the potential issue longer term, however, is that if you don't own your global network, then you might, might not be able to optimize it as much. Um, so for instance, if we assume that, you know, the, exponential rise of data will continue, then eventually networks are going to get con congested. So those networks, uh, those vendors that own their own network um, have a better chance in optimizing it, right, to offset this, this congestion. Um, Palo Alto doesn't own uh, the network, not, not uh, the infrastructure. So potentially, uh, I mean, we're still very long-term bullish on Palo Alto, but that is one drawback. Um, you know, um, it's kind of, it was good. It was a good move in terms of short-term, but longer-term, it might be a problem. But the thing is, they have so many other strong attributes. And as Simon pointed out, they've got such a, a rich talent throughout the organization that any engineering challenges that they face in regards to optimizing their, their network uh, will probably be able to be overcome, right? But it's just worth mentioning to investors um, as, as we're talking about SASE. Yeah, so uh, one another thing to add is that uh, the, the difference between Palo Alto Networks and Zscaler from the infrastructure perspective is that Zscaler spent like more than a decade beforehand to build up that, you know, service network globally. So they have been taking a huge amount of the time to figure out what are the key, uh, you know, uh, the uh, populated areas, the key cities, key regions that you need to build up that security checkpoint. While Palo Alto Networks, when it uh, kind of got started uh, in the SASE. It doesn't have too much time to do so. So it, it needs it needs to find out a quick way to build up the support for all major cities and build up that security checkpoint quickly. So it you it uses the uh, infrastructure from Google and Amazon Web Service. So what it means is that uh, the secure checkpoint leaves virtually 
within the Google Cloud or Amazon AWS Cloud. And Palato Networks no longer need uh, to think about the uh, how to uh, build up these uh, you know, data center. They need to build up uh, their own hardware and the uh, secure the physical plan. Instead, they can write off, uh, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of capex that Google and Amazon AWS Cloud they have been spending for the past few years. Uh, so they got the immediately they got the very high quality networking backbone and cloud compute infrastructure without the need to uh, building that out by themselves. So when it comes to the other components of of SASE, sort of the components we talked about, what what is uh, where does uh, Palo Alto Networks sort of excel, and where do they have some shortcomings? Yeah, well, I, I would say their ZTNA is pretty good because a zero trust network access, the concept itself was brought by one Forrester analyst, and that Forrester analyst uh, actually joined the Palo Alto Networks and leading the uh, innovation and the research in the ZTNA. So that's the place where we have a pretty good confidence that Palo Alto Networks it has a, one of the best zero trust network access product in the world. And it's also kind of cross-validated by that. Uh, it has a huge amount of uh, customer adoption. So one enterprise with more than 1 million uh, employees, they are able to uh, use Palo Alto Networks ZTNA without any problem. And the same goes to Caspi because for Zscaler, they need to build up their in-house Caspi solution. But what happened to uh, Palo Alto Networks is that it acquired it from a startup who is already pretty good at doing the Caspi. And then it has been pouring more resources into that division for the next few years. So now it's, it supports tons of uh, connections. So one way you can think about uh, the, the power of your Caspi solution is that uh, you, you need to secure so many SaaS applications. So if you are not familiar with one SaaS application, then you cannot uh, deliver the best security. So Palo Alto Networks right now, they support like uh, more than uh, 25,000 applications uh, for their in-line Caspi. So it's kind of the second best Caspi solution only behind Netscope. But when it compared to the rest of the competition, it, it, it seems like there's basically no competition in the Caspi space because it takes time, huge amount of the time to get to know, you know, these more than like tens of thousands of SaaS applications and build up that integration with each individual application that takes huge amount of time. I'll just um, add to that. So um, the reason uh, what probably be a fundamental reason for why Palo Alto is so good at zero trust network access and the CASB is because these uh, these solutions need gr um, granular application level and user level um, controls. And Palo Alto Networks has developed that pretty much since its inception. So in the 2000s, it was um, Gartner had its... We, we can talk about the magic quadrants, but Gartner had its magic magic quadrants for uh, network firewalls, and um, uh, Palo Alto um, had a, a a bigger vision of just just a standard firewall, and they wanted to develop a more application level and user level uh, control, so they can granularly control what users are accessing, um, which 
uh, applications, etc. Um, and this is uh, another example of um, it's, it's best not to just blindly follow Gartner's strict definitions of, of how a market should be. And this is what Palo Alto did as well, because they're this next generation firewall, which included these application level controls, uh, was quite far removed from the, the typical firewall and uh, different to what Gartner's uh, definitions were. Uh, but then Gartner actually um, ended up following uh, Palo Alto's lead and created uh, a magic quadrant report for the next generation firewall. But um, this was kind of back in the uh, late 2000s. So it's had uh, maybe 15 years of uh, developing very granular application level controls. Um, and this is why now they are so good at zero trust network access and, and the CASB. Simon, now, uh, now Jordan, he's, he's mentioning Gartner. Can you just tell us a little bit who they are and why they are so important? Yeah, so Gartner is an industrial research firm. So what it means is basically it's kind of the intermediary between the vendor, the seller, and their customers. So usually what, what, what it means is that because there are just so many technologies, so for example, there are more than uh, 3,500 companies, uh, cybersecurity companies, and when you are a customer trying to buy cybersecurity solutions, there is no uh, starting point, so you need to find out a specialist and analyst to help you. So usually you will go to Gartner or you will go to IBC, Forrester, these companies and ask for their help, like which security product should I buy? So usually they will ask like, which network security product should I buy? And then Gartner every year, they will release a buyer's guide or a called Magic Quadrant to highlight what they are thinking. So whenever you are a customer trying to figure out what's the network security product to buy, you will use Gartner's report as a first point, and then you will think out, okay, these are the same top five companies that I should include for my initial screening list. And then I will uh, talk to these companies. And the same goes to the these companies developing the solutions. So they need to consult with Gartner to say, say um, understand what's going on within customers and where do you see what's the future products that customers will need uh, in the future. And I need to be able to develop that in advance. So that's the kind of the position of the Gartner within the industry. So for years, it has been publishing several metric quadrants for key technologies that it sees as the kind of uh, major areas within one industry, and it will rank companies accordingly. So that's why uh, Gartner is so important. They are for cybersecurity what IOC is for sports, I guess. They decide what what goes in and what goes and what is right and wrong, and uh, yeah, lots of power. Yeah, usually uh, you as a vendor, you can only uh, so Gartner. You cannot actively push your information to Gartner. You can only uh, get a 30-minute uh, survey from Gartner, and you need to provide all information in advance. This is so-called vendor briefing. So yes, they, they kind of have the uh, opinion leadership within the industry, and every vendor uh, has to confine to Gartner's standard and has to uh, you know, answer the call from Gartner. 
So when we're talking um, uh, sassy here, could you sort of go through the... Um, um, they defined sassy a couple of years ago and now they change it to, to something else. Uh, sort of why did they do it and uh, what what happened? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Gartner in 2019 unveiled Sassy to the market. Um, and at the time it was quite raw and high level. Uh, there, there wasn't many specifics, uh, in terms of the technology and implementation, but it created a lot of buzz because philosophically it was a great way to do network security. Um, so, uh, many network security, and networking vendors made a beeline to to SASE. And because Gartner hadn't truly defined it in depth, um, there's a lot of, it was a little bit like the Wild West. Um, there was a lot of like misleading, mi misleading claims and um, security vendors would come and claim that they could do the full SASE, the full networking and security when in reality, you probably couldn't even do all of the security side. And then likewise, a lot of networking vendors would come and claim they could do the full platform, but it was just misleading. Um, so you'd actually get a lot of enterprises, um, you know, originally thinking we could just have one vendor to do all of SASE, but we might have two, three or four uh, uh, vendors as, as part of their SASE stack because they found out that, oh, the promises that uh, this vendor made it wasn't, wasn't true. Um, so it caused a lot of market confusion. So in um, Gartner recognized this and in the early 2022, we thought, right, okay, for market clarity purposes, we're going to separate it clearly out into SD-WAN, the intelligent networking side, and the SSE, which is those three components of the, the security side. And they uh, create a magic quadrant for both. And a magic quadrant is simply uh, a report where the, there's a quadrant for leaders, for challengers, visionaries, and niche players. And these magic quadrants are quite useful for technology buyers, for decision makers at enterprises that need to decide whether or not to have a vendor's technology implemented at their enterprise. Um, so, yeah, uh, and this this create this um, market clarity cre created a boost for the SASE market. We saw a reacceleration of growth in the entire SASE market during 2022 um, to about 38%, um, and it's going strong into 2023 as well. So it sounds like that is what the market really needed. Um, so yeah, that's um, essentially yeah, that's uh, what. Gartner's influence has been as such. Cool. So uh, we're going to take a look at the other competitors uh, just briefly. But before that, um, to sort of complete where we where where you guys think that that SASE is going, we need to introduce your own term, which is SASO. So please um, please explain how your thinking is about the future of of uh, of SASE. Yeah, so if you think about SASE, there are three high-level philosophies. So the first one is kind of security as a service. So you want to have uh, all securities managed by the vendor instead of you having to manage the security product by yourself. And you also want to see that, oh, everything is converging together. So networking, the convergence of networking and security. And then you also want to see that the 
you have the platform, so you have multiple point security products bundled within a suite, bundled within a platform. So it's like buying Office 365. You don't want to buy an independent product for the Word and then for Excel and then for PowerPoint. You want to buy it from one vendor. That's easier and simpler. But the last component is the cloud delivered uh, form factor for Sassy. So Gartner has specifically called it uh, Sassy because the last word is edge. So what it means is that Gartner says that in the future, all the network security has to be done uh, on the security checkpoints outside of your company instead of existing on-prem based uh, hardware solution. But where we see it differently is that at the end of the day, yes, maybe we will go to the cloud and maybe we have we will gonna to have remote working, but at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be a hybrid working. For most of the people, they will go back to the office. Just like, you know, uh, many companies like JP Morgan or Apple or Google, they are forcing their remote workers going back to the office. So we see that office is still there. The corporate headquarters is there. So does it make sense to send all of your security, uh, send all of your traffic to outside security checkpoint? Well, you already you already sit within the parameter. You're already sitting within the office and your, your corporate data center, and you can get the security check immediately within your data center. So what does it doesn't make sense at all for you to send all of your traffic to outside uh, security checkpoint? Where uh, when you can do it, uh, it more efficiently in house. So we created a new uh, tweak on Sassy. So we call it Sasso because the last word is omni form factor. In the sense that it doesn't really have to be cloud only. You can you can really be you can really have the flexibility, be it on the cloud or on prem. It just depends on where it makes more sense. So if you are a company that you know have 100% of your employees working within the company and you have your own data center, then you, you are com completely fine with the on-prem infrastructure. Instead of using Zscaler, it's actually easier and cheaper for you to still continue with the on-prem network firewall instead of uh, finding ways out to revamp your architecture and going 100% to the cloud. It doesn't make sense from the economic perspective. So that's why we say uh, the future should be SASO instead of SASI. So let me see if I get it. So you have you have uh, on-prem, you have you have sort of the old legacy sims systems, and then you have SASI in 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 the cloud as it is now. And um, and actually uh, on-prem will be cheaper because you use your own uh, hardware and and sort of then buying it from the cloud. So you, if if you want to have a one-stop shop as a as a as a company, you need a company that delivers uh, cloud security and on-prem security in in one package solution. And and that is that is that correct understanding? Yeah. yeah. It depends on your context. So it depends on your company's IT landscape. It depends on where your, your users, your employees are located. So for example, if you are a company that is 100% physical and you have all of your employees within on-prem, 
such that you don't need to manage the complexity of remote working. And also, you don't need to manage, you know, think about the uh, utilization rate. Maybe you have most of the uh, users using the internet or network security concurrently, then you can think about the potential cost and the benefit associated with continuing the on-prem delivery form or going 100% to the cloud. And for a majority of the company, it doesn't make sense for you to go 100% to the cloud because you don't really have uh, that small footprint on-prem. For most of the company, you will still own data center. You have many offices and it makes sense for you to say, I will offload part of my network security to the cloud, but I, I won't go it for 100% because I still have, you know, on-prem footprint. And it makes more sense to for the on-prem footprint to have on-prem security solutions. Omnichannel, yeah. Okay, guys. So, uh, so let's look a bit at these uh, competitors to uh, to Setscaler and Palo Alto Networks. Um, let's talk a little bit about the advantage and the disadvantage. And uh, let's start out with uh, Fortinet. Simon, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Fortinet? Yeah. So I think Fortinet is really a great example of uh, a leader within Sasso, but uh, doesn't get too much attention because it doesn't adhere to Gartner's definition strictly. Because Fortinet, what it is good at is that it has its own custom silicon, its, its own application-specific chip that is able to deliver 10 times better performance with lower cost uh, versus many other uh, firewalls, uh, hardware firewall companies. So it makes sense for you to say that, okay, may, maybe, you know, one, one key calculation uh, when I'm comparing cloud versus on-prem is that, okay, uh, on-prem, maybe I have huge underutilization issue, but say, uh, the but if I am using Fortinet, I don't care about the underutilization issue because uh, the cost is so low such that uh, it can compensate for lower utilization rate. Uh, for the on-prem. And then there is another uh, good side with Fortinet is that if you go on-prem and then you can send out the security, kind of the mini security checkpoint to every user's home, then you don't need the user to go out and get the security checked within, say, within uh, one data center of one city. Instead, you can get the security checked directly uh, in one user's home router, in one user's home network facility. So that is an even better uh, model. And that is all powered by Fortinet's custom chip because it is uh, de designing and developing its own chip. It is able to lower down the cost associated with hardware versus other competitors. So that's the place where SASO makes more sense instead of going SASE because going to the SASE, Cloud isn't cheap. Cloud is also expensive, but it's just that cloud, you are sharing the resources with others such that you can solve that underutilization issue. But at the end of the day, you need to measure it on a, you know, say I wanted to get a 1 million network packet screened. And I need to think about the cost of screening that 1 million network packet. And for Fortinet, and for most of the users who have a huge on-prem footprint, using Fortinet uh, is actually cheaper than going to 
Zscaler and going to uh, you know, third-party security checkpoint. So Fortinet, they they have their own silicon. Is is that for is that primary for the networking part for, or is it for the security part, or is it a combination? And and how is uh, Fortinet uh, doing in the other parts of uh, of SASE? Yeah. So Fortinet, uh, yeah, it develops chips from all perspectives. So it has its own networking chip. It has its network security chip, and it also has uh, SOC, so system on a chip, meaning that it also bundles ARM CPU and many other associated uh, IPs together within a very compact chip. So it is able to say within a very small box, like a normal home router box, it is able to deliver the, if, if you want to buy it, the same level of security performance or networking performance from other vendors like Palo Alto Networks. You have to buy a server rocket that is like 10 times bigger than Fortinet's router. So that's the place where it makes more sense for Fortinet to you know, send out security uh, checkpoints to everybody's home because it's so small. But if you are guys like Palo Alto Networks or Checkpoint, you can because the server rocket is going to be so big and so expensive that you cannot really send it to every employee's home or to send it to the major offices that you own globally. And then when it comes to various parts, components of uh, SASE, so uh, it's one of its biggest advantage is really in the SD-WAN because it has been investing in SD-WAN since 2017, while uh, before SD-WAN was really a hyped or a buzzword. So it has that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, that first mover advantage. And another thing is that Fortinet, it is able to uh, send out SD-WAN as a software upgrade to all of their existing firewall users. So they have existing installed um, like tens of millions of firewall, 40 gate installed there. And then within a software update, all of their firewall suddenly uh, get the SD-WAN function for free. So now, you know, previously you bought a firewall, but now out of a sudden you can use it for SD-WAN too. So that is a powerful, you know, user adoption uh, technique that Fortinet is able to leverage and then quickly mature their, mature their SD-WAN solution. And then when it comes to uh, other major components within uh, SASE security functions, it's very good at uh, Secure Web Gateway because it has been doing this function uh, since the early 2000s. It's part of their uh, company. And then it's ZTNA. I think this is a part where they are a little bit weak because they don't provide uh, too much granular understanding of the uh, cloud environment. But what it is good at is that Fortinet also has the application awareness. So it is able to segment the network uh, within a corporate network. So that's a place where it has a strong foothold in the zero trust network access. And then when it comes to Caspi, there's a potential drawback of uh, Fortinet because it, it seems like most of the network security companies, they are pretty good at inline Caspi because inline Caspi checks the network packet uh, between the user and the SaaS application. But when it comes to out-of-band Caspi, it seems like this is a weaker uh, spot for Fortinet because Fortinet wasn't a cloud-first company. So it doesn't understand uh, SaaS applications 
uh, more so than Palo Alto Networks and the Netscope do. So that's a potential drawback for Fortinet. So uh, I think another thing to note, I think uh, more to investors is that uh, you really want to, uh, when you are making investment decisions, you want to say what's being priced in and what's on the hype and what's underhyped. And we see that Fortinet is really uh, underhyped the name when it comes to SASE because for most of the investors, when they are taking a look at who are the future leaders of network security and who are the future leaders of SASE, they wouldn't really take a look at Fortinet because Fortinet's model is not uh, strictly confined to Gartner's definition of edge or cloud-only deployment. And as a result, Gartner didn't include Fortinet uh, within their SASE metric quadrant. So for most of the investors, they just simply don't take a look at Fortinet or they don't think that Fortinet is going to be a winner of the SASE or the future of network security. But based on what, I, what we are seeing, and if you are incorporate uh, SASO net framework, then you can see that Fortinet is actually a very powerful player. So you have that kind of, you know, mismatch on the investor's perception versus what what we are really seeing on the market and what's really happening um, to Fortinet on the bottom-up level. So I think that's a great source of alpha for investors. Yeah, Yeah. and I'll just add to that. Yeah, so it, it, it seems as though close alignment with Gartner uh, can, uh, if it's timed right, deliver very good short-term results as it has for Zscaler. But long-term, close alignment with Gartner probably isn't good because it means you don't have your own vision, your own differentiation. Um, so, yes, it's what Simon said. Right now, uh, Fortinet's underappreciated because it's not closely aligned to Gartner's definition, but longer-term, um, it, it should it should uh, be a good return um, it, it, because uh, the differentiation will will come through. Yeah. Um, do customers pay for um, Fortinet's uh, SD-WAN solution? Oh, no, they don't have to pay it. So it's a software function, so you can just upgrade. So you, you, if you are a new customer to Fortinet, you can directly use it without paying additional fees. Or if you have any advanced SD-WAN functions, maybe you need to license uh, independent license, but the basic SD-WAN function is entirely for free. And if you are, but what's more amazing is that if you are an existing uh, customer of Fortinet and you bought it for firewall only, then by upgrading the software, you can get one of the best SD-WAN function immediately without paying additional fees or changing your hardware. So that is really a very great, uh, you know, market adoption uh, technique adopted by Fortinet. Yeah, that that sounds like a really good uh, go-to-market uh, strategy that that gives the customer something uh, right out of uh, uh, the, the the box. So uh, let's move on to uh, Cloudflare. Um, Simon, take us, uh, tell us a little bit about Cloudflare, where they are in SASE and and what their competitive advantages and maybe disadvantages are. Yeah, so if, if you take a look at uh, what are the major players within SASE, you have uh, Zscaler, who is kind of uh, SWG company turned SASE company. And then you have Fortinet and Palo Alto Networks, who are the you know on-prem physical uh, firewall hardware company turned SASE company. And then 
Cloudflare is a CDN company turned SaaS company. So what, what is a CDN is that it's something similar to the concept of point of service for SaaS, but for the point of service within SaaS, you are only serving your customers, meaning that you can only gain the access to uh, Zscaler security checkpoint only if you are a Zscaler customer. But Cloudflare, it provides the networking acceleration for all public users. I mean, you and I, I mean, basically for everyone who uses internet today, they have been using Cloudflare's uh, point of service, use the network acceleration provided by Cloudflare, but they just, uh, you know, don't realize it. So Cloudflare, it owns the biggest amount of distributed point of service across the world. So it, it can reach out to like more than 99% of the world population within 15 milliseconds because it has that huge amount of investment for not only serving their customers, but serving everyone, serving the public for free for the networking acceleration. And then another thing is that Cloudflare, they, they sit between the network transit. So it serves about 25% of global internet traffic. So what that means is that, you know, SASE, one promise of SASE is about, you know, combining the security with the networking. You don't want to see that your postal man doesn't do uh, the, the security screening, but have to offload it to others because that is going to, you know, degrade the time. Because for example, when you want to send a network packet and what if, the security can be done when the network uh, sends out a packet, then you have zero latency associated with security checks. But if you separate the networking to other guy, then you are going to incur, you know, several, let's say 100 milliseconds of network latency. But what Cloudflare is great is that it already sits in between the user and the destination. So it is able to offer the security screening without additional uh, networking latency. And it's also able to provide the shortest path to deliver the packet from the user to the destination. So that's the place where we see Cloudflare has a huge leverage against many other vendors because for Zscaler, it doesn't really serve any other public users. So it doesn't have the biggest global networking backbone to send out a packet more efficiently. So it's like uh, Cloudflare is like the uh, FedEx or the global delivery network. And it has offices across the board and it's serving a huge amount of population. But for Zscaler, it's serving only a very limited number of users and very limited number of population. So if you want to uh, get the best, you know, delivery service in terms of networking performance, then Cloudflare has a huge advantage here. Um, Simon, the, the Cloudflare uh, SASE uh, offering, could you talk a little bit about that? What, what are their strengths and, and, and uh, what are their weaknesses? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you think about the origin of Cloudflare, so its biggest strength is really about the networking. And then the second part is about the security screening or the secure web gateway, because it already checks the security for the 25% of the internet traffic. So it knows who are the bad guys and who are the good guys. And it's, it's also able to leverage the, you know, the 
networking intelligence because it knows uh you know every day like what's what's the new bad actors within you know the within the internet and it's able to include them to the ban list so from the secure web gateway perspective uh cloudflare has a big advantage and when it, when it comes to zero trust network access if you think about uh, zero trust network access uh within about you know having a greater user experience when it comes to connecting the user to their uh, corporate data center, then Cloudflare is able to accelerate that well, networking path very efficiently. And it's also able to know what's the uh, malicious activity when when a user, you know, for example, if you are a user uh, trying to access your corporate data center application uh, while is like uh, 3 a.m. of your local time, then you know that that is a very malicious activity. So Cloudflare has that advantage. But what Cloudflare doesn't have a great advantage is that it it only came to the SaaS market after uh, kind of 2020. So it's a very young vendor in this space. So it takes time to mature, and it takes time to figure in, to figure out uh, what works and what's not. And so they need to figure out more time to spend more time, especially with the enterprise customers who have more special and stringent demands. And it's also a part of their weaknesses in the Caspi because Caspi requires years of investment in understanding thousands of SaaS applications and having a great integration with them. So they have just recently acquired uh, an out-of-band Caspi uh, startup, but we are not seeing too much great feedback from uh, Cloudflare's Caspi so far. But when you compare it to Zscaler, uh, the two companies, they all kind of have a not very great Caspi, but when it comes to networking performance, when it comes to secure web gateway, and zero trust network access, Cloudflare seems to have an upper hand over Zscaler. Then let's uh, let's move on and talk a bit about uh, Netscope. Yeah. So similar to Cloudflare, so Cloudflare is a CDN turned SASE player. Netscope is a Caspi turned uh, SASE player. So Netscope, it was founded in 2012 as the Caspi vendor. In fact, the company created the Caspi market as we know today. So they were the innovators of Caspi. So you know that they have one of the best Caspi solution. And one amazing thing about Netscope is that uh, it wasn't the strongest Caspi vendor back in 2015, but it was the standalone Caspi vendor. So if you check the magic quadrant of Caspi back in 2016, uh, there are like a three uh, leaders over Netscope. But all of these Caspi leaders, they were acquired by bigger companies. They were acquired by Cisco. They were acquired by uh, McAfee. And Netscope is the only standalone startup that stays private, not acquired by other companies. So it's able to compound its years of investments forward. And then in 2020, they uh, they hired a senior executive from Amazon who is responsible for building up Amazon Web Services global networking footprint. And then with that, they built a 
great CDN network within nine months. So essentially, they built a very similar global networking infrastructure to Cloudflare within nine months. Uh, so that is a great uh, execution from their part. And with that great networking infrastructure, they are able to build up uh, features, including secure web gateway, zero trust network access, and together with their best Caspi together as a SASE product. And then last year in 2022, they acquired a startup called Infiat, uh, which is a SD-WAN startup. And what's interesting about that is that if you take a look at the magic quadrant of SD-WAN in 2022, basically all the top leaders of SD-WAN, they all have their own uh, SASE secure uh, SSE product. So what it means is that in 2020, even if you are Zscaler and you say, oh gosh, I don't have network uh, components, I need to buy a SD-WAN vendor. It turns out that there is nothing you can buy because all SD-WAN vendors, they, they all have their own SSE solution. But what's interesting about Netscope is that uh, they found that there is a company called Infiat who was uh, founded by the three co-founders of Battle Cloud. And Metal Cloud is the top two SD-WAN vendor who was acquired by VMware. So you can you meet so in 2020, they in 2022, they were able to acquire great talent who built up the second best SD-WAN vendor. So Netscope is really amazing, not from their product standpoint, but also from their talent acquisition and uh their vision, so they know where to invest. So when it comes to the competition, uh, Netscope is actually very strong. It's probably the strongest vendor in the SaaS market. And this wasn't recognized beforehand because previously people thought that Zscaler is the only leader within SaaS. But then turning into 2023, we are seeing that more customers, they are looking looking for better alternatives of Zscaler because they see that, okay, now I have a good secure web gateway. I have a pretty good ZTNA, but I don't have a good Caspi. And then I need to think about who are the vendor uh, vendors with the best Caspi. And Netscope is the only vendor who has the best Caspi. So that gives them a tremendous amount of tailwind. And another thing is that Netscope is just a younger company. So, you know, it was born in 2012 and its global networking infrastructure was created in sometime around 2022, in, in 2020. So it's like 10 years younger than Zscaler from the networking infrastructure perspective. So it has less technical depth. It is able to innovate way faster. So that's our long-term kind of, uh, avoid thesis for Zscaler because Zscaler is not without strong competitors, but it just turns out that this great competitor is a private company and most of the public investors, they are not good at evaluating the private startup competitors of a public company. They usually take a look at the competition in an isolated ways, meaning that you only take a look at who are your competitors, who are the publicly traded companies. But we see that in this sense, Netscope is a great startup, but it, it hasn't hit IPO yet. So it's uh, disproportionately underappreciated uh, when it comes to investors evaluating Zscaler.
content of this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice. The hosts, Mass, Matthias, and clients of New Deal Invest may hold positions in mentioned companies. Uh, I think a lot of investors talk about uh, the, that Cloudflare has a competitive advantage due to um, the, the, the points of presence that they have a lot of places. And what I hear from you is that Netscope has built out a similar network, and I think Setscaler has something comparable. Um, is, is that a competitive advantage that, that you think will, will sort of make a difference? Absolutely, yes. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, owning the global network, owning your own POPs uh, allows for greater optimization to, to increase network performance, especially in the wake of growing volumes of data. So that is very, very important. Um, we think, uh, well, Cloudflare has around 280 POPs around the globe. Uh, as, as, it's, um, as Simon pointed out, it originated as a uh, um, a CDN provider, so accelerating the performance of websites. Um, and now it has about 25% of internet traffic uh, going through it. And there's a lot of advantages um, uh, by having that. Um, Netscope, uh, well, Zscaler probably has around maybe 200 and two, or 250 pops, as I refer to them. Um, but as Solomon said, not as highly, uh, not as finely tuned because, um, well, for, for one reason is Cloudflare has one global ASN. An ASN is an autonomous uh, system number, which generally is um, basically a one, one network around the globe. Okay. Um, Netscope. Uh, only has one ASN, yeah, which is one network around the globe, um, but but it only has fifty hops. Zscaler has uh, probably around two hundred and fifty uh, pops, but it has eight ASNs. So it we way we see this is as Zscaler uh, developed its network over time, and especially in in response to the rush of demand from SASE, they they had to kind of bolt on and expand their global network in a kind of piecemeal fashion without having a bigger picture, longer term view of it. So they've had to, yeah, as I say, uh, and and this is uh, resulted in having eight ASNs, which is not is it's not going to be as uh, performant as uh, just a global network with one ASM because there's more inter interchanges, etc. So um, and it's interesting that Netscope really has there's various third party tests of their networks, but Netscope is is their their performance is generally. Um, Obviously, Zscaler would not admit this, but Netscope's network performance is generally better than Zscaler's, despite having a fraction of the pops. So that's that's quite interesting. And um, yeah, uh, so Netscope, their their global network, very very performant. Um, and as I say, this is very important for the the data intensive operations that we are expecting in in security. As as uh, cybersecurity in general becomes more data data centric. Is that something that the other vendors like um, Fortinet and uh, yeah, Palo Alto Network uses uh, Google? 
but is is it something that they need to 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 try to catch up with or well yes well fortinet is in the process of creating its own pops um so they are doing that and that could be really really powerful if they have a dense global network like netscope or perhaps the scalar because they're, they're going to have their custom silicon in each one of these and it makes sense to do this uh, what's called a co-location strategy where you use a, a data center operator like equinix and you you partner with them and uh, the vendor partners with them and equinix will provide the you know the 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 walls and the roof and the, the cooling um, and the electricity, the power, um, but it's up to the vendor to provide their own hardware and plug it in, etc. So um, it takes a longer while to expand your global network doing it that way rather than just using an existing cloud provider. Um, but Fortinet can't have their custom silicon, which is highly performant, in the clouds, in the in Amazon's yeah. AWS or Google, yeah. So it doesn't that they need a different strategy if they've gone this hardware route. So this building out their own global network in, is going to be very very fruitful for Fortinet over the long term. Cool. So let's move over to VMware and uh, Broadcom. Uh, if Broadcom uh, gets to buy VMware, where where would that take them and And uh, how do you see them competing in the SASE, SASO space? So when we are thinking about Broadcom, so for the moment, Broadcom owns Symantec. And the, the conventional consensus uh, view is that uh, Symantec is a dinosaur. It's going to die. It's not going to be relevant in the future anymore. But if you take a look at what's happening within Symantec, it's not really a dire picture. It's revenue. It's kind of slowing down to grow, but it's still organically growing at 5%. And it's a huge uh, profitability. It's like it's EBITDA margin is like more than uh, 50%. And then if you think about what are the major key components within SASE uh, for a very successful vendor, if Broadcom is going to acquire VMware, they are going to own basically everything. You know, uh, Broadcom, uh, at the moment, they own, uh, they own Secure Web Gateway. So it's one of the best Secure Web Gateway, uh, serving customers for many years, and uh, it's deployed in a cloud. Or you can deploy it on-prem because they acquired a company called Bluecode, providing the on-prem Secure Web Gateway. And then for zero trust network access, they also have a similar solution, so they're able to get it on board. But one potential uh, drawback with the ZTNA is that maybe it's not cutting edge enough, so that's a potential uh, drawback. But when it comes to Caspi, they also acquired a leading Caspi startup, so they're able to do out-of-band Caspi fairly easily. And DLP has the inline Caspi has always been part of Symantec's strength because it has a native DLP uh, within their enterprise security solution. And then, if it is going to acquire VMware, VMware owns one of the best SD WAN. It's the you know the top three SD WAN vendor is Fortinet, VMware, and the Cisco. So if they are able to acquire a VMware, they own the best networking and then they own a pretty good security. And then they have a wild card potential in the sense that Broadcom itself, it makes chips and it's, it should be fairly easy for them to put into more R&D and build a similar custom silicon 
like what Fortinet is doing, but provided for VMware SD-WAN router or accelerate their SASE workload. So they have all of these optionalities. And if you think about these optionalities and components in isolated terms, they are all great solutions for the SASE. But it's just that they are yet to merge all of these great assets within one product platform suite. So it depends on their execution. But from an investor perspective, you are always looking for the risk reward and looking for what's being priced in. And what's being priced in for Symantec is a very low expectation. Basically, everyone believes that it's going to die. So the baseline is that if it is not going to die, then there is an alpha. And then a better uh, outcome is that uh, when everybody is believe is thinking that it's, it's dying, but it turns out the other way, then there's a 100%, uh, that's a 180 degree, uh, you know, difference to the uh, what's being priced in, what's the consensus view, and that is going to generate tremendous amount of alpha for investors. How big is their cybersecurity business going to be if they sort of succeed and buy VMware? How, how um, um, they they do a lot of networking chips and uh, silicon. How 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 big is the security part of uh, the 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 final Broadcom uh, company going to be? Oh well, that's that's going to be really big because if you think about SD WAN, so for the SD WAN alone, if you are really going to keep the existing leadership and power your SD WAN router with uh, Broadcom's custom silicon. I mean, they should be able to grow their revenue to like say more than $3 billion or even higher, or they can really unravel uh, Cisco or Juniper who have like uh, more than $30 billion of revenue. So that is huge. So if you assume just 10% of that take rate, that is huge. And then when it comes to security, if you think about Zscaler and the Palo Alto networks and the total time of SASE, it's going to be more than, uh, say, $30 billion. And right now, their revenue on the SASE is like less than uh, 100 million or less than 500 million. So they have that additional potential to, say, grow the revenue by, say, an additional uh, $2 billion. So combined, they have an opportunity to grow the revenue to, say, additional $5 billion. But it all depends on their execution. So we haven't heard about Microsoft and CrowdStrike and Sentinel One. Are are they not going to compete in network security? Yeah. So I think one uh, historical background you need to understand is that pre in the previous age of enterprise security, uh, the duopoly McAfee and the Symantec they tried to go into the network security business because they thought that oh. Well, why don't we just bundle endpoint security together with network security? Then it's going to be a very powerful value justification for customers. But what it turns out is that for most of the customers, they have two separated teams. One team is making the buying decision for the endpoint security and another making the decision for buying the network security. So when you are an endpoint security vendor trying to sell network security, uh, solution to the network security team, they, they they would just reject it right away because you are not an established vendor. They thought that you are an enterprise security vendor rather than a network security vendor. So if you take a look at Microsoft and CrowdStrike, 
or Sentinel One, they all play within the net endpoint security business, and it's very hard for them to, you know, jump in into this very siloed and separated field, which is network security. So let's take a quick look at um, at the market size. How how big is cybersecurity market, and um, yeah, how 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 far are we from from sort of where we can go yeah. to in TAM? Right. Well, there are probably a few ways to try and estimate the, the total size of the SaaS market, the the total addressable market size, which I'll refer to as the TAM. Um, you you could, as an investor, you could simply take Zscaler's estimate of the TAM. Um, which which includes their secure web gateway and zero trust product and their CASB. Uh, their their estimate for those products is around 50 billion worth of market. And then, or, or you could use Cloudflare's uh, estimate for its uh, Cloudflare One platform, which is its SASE platform. And um, I think they they estimate the the TAM is around 60 billion. Or you could you could take Gartner's estimate for the size of a SASE market uh, in 2023 or by the end of 2023, which is around $9 billion. And if we kind of assume that, say, over the next 10 years, um, the average growth rate of the SASE market will be around 25%, which is believable because right now uh, in 2022 it was around 38%, give or take a, a, a couple of percent. Um, so over the next 10 years, it's believable that the average rate of growth could be 25%. So they take that 9 billion, multiply it by 25% over 10 years, and you might get around 80 billion, 90 billion. Um, um, so, or you, you could just say, right, okay, there's 1 billion knowledge workers around the world yeah and let's say that the cost of sassy for a year for one user is 100 dollars, which you know could be an average price it, it varies a lot depending on what is exactly included but it could be 100 dollars. so 1 billion times 100 would be a 100 billion dollar uh, market uh, for sassy obviously uh, that is like the terminal value right um so yeah so whichever way you look at it um is potentially a very very big market whether it's 50 billion or 100 billion the the, the, the only issue i have with the higher end estimates is if we if we believe the market is going to consolidate over time and let's say uh, palo alto networks um their SASE revenue right now is one and a half billion, for instance. And let's say if the market is going to consolidate and maybe they get a 20% market share, a terminal 20% market share. So eventually in 10 years or so, they, they generated $20 billion worth of revenue from SASE. Then that would probably equate to something like a 25% or 30% growth rate for Palo Alto networks in SASE, which to me doesn't, that seems too high given the already high revenue level of one and a half billion. So that's kind of a bit of a sanity check, but maybe those parameters are wrong. Maybe Palo Alto won't get 20%. Maybe the most realistic is 10 or 15% market share. But it's just interesting to throw out these different estimations and kind of do a sanity sanity check against them. But 
either way you slice and dice it, uh, I think between 50 billion, 100 billion terminal market value for SASE, you know, it's not there right now, but uh, obviously as investors, we're looking to see how, uh, where the market is going to grow to, right? So yeah. I think that's it. I, I remember that, that uh, back in 1980, I think it was McKinsey, they were asked to predict how many cell phones there would be in year 2000. And, and I think they were 1000% wrong. Uh, <laughs> underestimated. So the future is is quite hard to to predict. But but yeah, if if uh, if you think it uh, that market will grow twenty five to thirty percent a year over the next ten years, then it's definitely uh, an interesting uh, investment um, uh, place. And and who'll be the winners will remains to be determined. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I think from the button up perspective, the from the button up perspective, the button up ten is uh, one hundred billion. But the, it just depends on when we are going to get there, and for that kind of you know individual knowledge worker demand for network security is SASE going to address that, or is SASO going to address one hundred percent of that? Or in the future, maybe we'll have another newer architecture to you know overtake. SASE, and then maybe SASE is going to occupy only, say, 30% of that network security for global knowledge worker. So yeah, the, the future is, you know, uh, very uncertain and it it's, depends on many factors. But based on what we are seeing, uh, SASE is going to be the future of network security and uh, many uh, knowledge workers, they will need the SASE solution, but it's just based, depends on the penetration, how, how what's the percentage of the global knowledge workers they will be willing to pay, say, $100 per year uh, for the SASE solution. So uh, you need to consider the adoption rate. Yeah. So is there an area of network security with high or low entry barriers? Yeah, I, I, I would say network security in general, the industry has... Uh, uh, more barrier yeah. to entry because the industry overall is a very mature industry. It's one of the oldest category within the cybersecurity. And based on our recent analysis uh, uh, published on our uh, uh, for our subscri subscribers, we analyzed that uh, the growth in the number of network security companies has really slowed down or, or even decreased because there is consolidation going on within the network security companies. And for most of the network security buyers, they favor incumbency. What that means is that you are not going to be comfortable buying a startup, uh, like a two-year-old startup, uh, to be uh, providing the network security for your company, say, to secure uh, 100,000 employees for you because you want to see uh, the time to test the you know the uh the the legitimacy and the availability the security of the vendor and th this is a particular issue within network security because basically every company they uh have they 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 always have a network security in place i mean firewall is everywhere so when you are a network security newcomer you need to, to to do the replacement deal, which means that you need to persuade your customers who are who already own existing firewall or who have been investing in network security for quite a long time. You need to persuade them, say, hey guys, you need to get rid of your firewall, get rid of your network security solution, which you have been investing for like millions of dollars and try our product 
and adopt our product. That is very hard because that replacement deal takes huge amount of marketing and sales effort. While for emerging categories like cloud security, it's a green field opportunity, means that your customer doesn't have any uh, cloud security in place, then it's easier for a startup to sell to uh, customers. Yeah, so I'll just uh, add to that. Um, that yeah, is is the entry barriers for for network security are so much higher because a lot of the time, uh, especially for inline security, you uh, the vendor has to develop uh, either appliances. Uh, well, if they have to develop some type of of, of hardware, um, a lot of the time, whether it, they're going to be putting it in uh, in a, a cloud pot or on premises, and especially with SASE, uh, it requires um, a, a substantial capital investment because you know the standard. Uh, I know Palo Alto is an exception, but kind of the standard with SASE is is to own your own global network. So that's expensive to to develop. Um, so yeah, the, the entry barriers are, are, are quite high. Um, and as Simon said, it's, um, whereas cloud security is pretty much a blue ocean um, with network security, a bit more of a red ocean where, you know, you need to replace existing vendors. And there's also, um, You've got to think about the economies of scale. Um, with with SASE, this is why we believe um, at least uh, the enterprise segment of SASE will will consolidate. Is because um, each vendor in SASE needs to achieve economies of scale, right? So just just imagine there were uh, one hundred SASE vendors in few years uh, all doing really really well uh, that's extremely unlikely to happen because in order to do well you need to achieve economies of scale to to cover the high capex costs that you've uh, you've you've uh, had to spend um so yeah uh, by the natural law of market dynamics um it makes sense that sassy will consolidate because the the companies that can achieve economies of scale first are likely to be the winners, and this is we already seen this with Zscaler and Palo Alto, um, and so because of that, uh, that just raises the entry barriers even more, right? So yeah, the the, the entry barriers are, are considerably high. Yeah, there has to be something something new, a new approach, or a new need, or something to to break up. Uh, the dominance of of the the companies that has gotten to to scale. So the the fortunate thing is, is that the chip, uh, their own silicon and and free SD van, um, sounds like something that that could get a Trojan horse into into some some vendors. Is there anything else? I'm I'm thinking about uh, self driving cars, or is is there any any other company that that has something that could be the need of the future? Is there um, a startup companies that has a new sort of the next wave thing that could be uh, the Trojan horse into businesses? Yeah, so based on our analysis, it seems like Netscope is the best startup right now. But the number of startups within SASE is going to be very limited because right now the market favors consolidation and the market favors, you know, components like Caspi, which requires years of investments. So at the moment, we see that 
no, you know, see the stage or very young startup have a good potential to disrupt existing players, especially if it is for SASE. But within broader network security uh, landscape, maybe potentially you have startups who can leverage more components, not only cloud-delivered form factor, but using uh, agent-based software endpoint to do the security screening that can potentially uh, disrupt the existing players. So there are some startups like Parameter 81 or Dope Security. They are trying this architecture, but they are very young and it will take them, say, five years to really kick off and let the market accept them. So at the moment, uh, we are not seeing immediate disruptor to major leaders within SASE. Yeah. And, um... But as we discuss, as we are discussing entry barriers, it's uh, worth going back to my opening comments about how to view cybersecurity. You could separate it into two categories: prevention and detection. Um, and generally, the entry barriers are quite low for the, the de detection-based solutions, right? Because Vendors don't need to, they don't need to uh, create any hardware. Uh, they they don't need to provision. Uh, much infrastructure they they can use the cloud and just kind of use the uh, cloud services to to write software uh, in order to do this detection based and uh, response way of handling cyber threats um but on the prevention side usually it, it requires some type of hardware um and it uh, yeah you you you, you have to have maybe a, your own cloud pop. Um, so generally prevention, um, this is just generally I'm, I'm speaking, uh, is it has higher entry barriers for cybersecurity than the detection. Cool. So um, um, are there any visions or theses for network security going forward that we haven't covered? Yeah, I, I would say two keywords here. The, the first one is really consolidation. Uh, there, there are just so many network security companies uh, born in the period between 2010 and 2020. And it doesn't make sense because for most of the buyers right now, an average enterprise customer has to manage more than 76 cybersecurity solutions. Wow. And these solutions, you know, are challenging to manage. I mean, for anyone, you, you cannot really write down 70, 76 names quickly. So they are actively looking for a space where they can bring in consolidation. And this is definitely happening within network security. Now, people cannot buy a standalone CASP solution or a standalone secure web gateway solution. Whenever they are buying a particular network security solution, they always ask for, do you have any other components? Do you have a platform suite whereby we can buy more product? Uh, that uh, you guys be a one-stop shop. So that is going to be a huge thesis, a huge tailwind in years to come. And the second, I think, is really the complexity. Uh, the underlying network infrastructure is going to be even more complex. So, for example, previously, uh, from the 2010 to 2020, we saw the major networking security companies decreased from like uh, about... 20 key players down to only like 10, less than 10 key players because you have the uh, more encryption protocols introduced in the network security there and you have more uh, 
governance issue to deal with. So what that means is that the number of network security companies that you can trust is going to be very limited. And we are seeing this trend continuing with the HTTP 2.0 and standards like Quake that in the future, the networking, the underlying networking protocols and the infrastructure is going to be so complex that maybe only like only less than five companies can really bring in a very comprehensive solution to it. So uh, another part of it is really, you know, the prevalence of large language model or ChatGPT uh, AGI in the, in the sense that you need to figure out a better way to secure these uh, new tools and within the network security and the number of companies who can bring in effective solutions to these solutions will be very limited. Cool. So at the end here, could you give us a quick investor wrap uh, of um, uh, network security? Yeah, overall, I would say is that for the publicly traded companies, you can say, oh, what are the companies that you should avoid? And what are the companies yeah. that you can take a look at, but uh, investing in them carefully, uh, be sure uh, to check their valuation and not to treat it as a long-term bet. And there are also some companies that we like that uh, they have better, more long-term promising futures. So for companies that you definitely should avoid, we would recommend that you avoid investing in Cisco, Checkpoint Software, Juniper Networks, and Akamai, because these companies, they are basically the dinosaur within the network security space. They basically can grow and Whenever they acquire a startup, the, the founder of the startup would leave the company two years later. So that is a very warning, warning sign for any investor. I mean, you, for, for these startups founders themselves, they can't tolerate the bureaucracy and the lack of information within these companies. So they will leave this company. And for existing uh, established companies, we would say that Fortinet, Palo Alto Networks, Cloudflare, and maybe Zscaler, you can look at, look at them, uh, but you need to be sure about checking their valuation and more specifically about Zscaler because many investors view it as a kind of a monopoly within the SASE market or within the future of network security market. But we see it otherwise. So we see that as a big divergence between what we are seeing and what's being pricing or what's within the consensus. So. Uh, pay extra attention to Zscaler. So be sure not to pricing too, too much, you know, uh, high growth expectation for Zscaler. And uh, there are also future companies to take a look at. So for example, Cato Networks, Versa Networks, uh, Netscope and Parameter 81. So these are the startups. So if you are an institutional investor, uh, a VC, then you can take a look at these companies because they hold interesting architecture and products when it compared to publicly traded companies. And then finally, there, there are interesting kind of uh, turnaround companies to watch. So for example, VMware, Broadcom, and uh, HPE, they own valuable assets, but they are not executing it yet. So the, right now, the market expectation for these companies is so low that the potential for an upside surprise is high. So we see that these are the kind of, uh, you know, strategic uh, turnaround bets that you can gain disproportional alpha 
uh, when they when they potentially make uh, you know surprisingly better execution than uh, what's being pressed in. Cybersecurity is um, the overall industry is probably destined to grow maybe between ten percent, fifteen percent over the next few years, and network security is. Um, is also destined to 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 grow quite high, especially the the SASE component. Um, so the vendors generally, the vendors that aren't investing to capitalize on this growth are in fear of being marginalized and um, eventually losing market share. So there are some companies um, that are aggressively investing to capitalize on this growth. Um, uh, and at the moment, their profitability, their margins are, are quite, quite low. Um, but, you know, my take is that generally it's it, in a high growth market. It's worth to um, aggressively invest, build that moat first. And then once you've built that moat, you can then focus on uh, the profitability and, and, and increasing the margins. Um, a good example of of this is Checkpoint and Palo Alto. Uh, several years ago, they was neck and neck in the network um, firewall market. Check, Checkpoint decided to um, pull their foot off the gas pedal and not invest uh, aggressively despite the growth opportunities and they just focused on, you know, high margins. And it was it's great for investors, um, but it's quite short-sighted because over the longer term, they've, they've lost market share. You know, um, losing market share in their core firewall market and also missing out on ex, uh, expanding into adjacent markets. Palo Alto, on the other hand, okay, yes, they, they have been running operating losses, um, but they've been expanding their market share and now have built an incredible moat. And now we are seeing them uh, begin to um, increase margins every quarter. And I think that's key, right? It's, it's, it's the rate of change uh, in, in, in the margins, not just uh, where it is right now. Uh, as investors, we want to see the rate of change and what profit's going to look like in the future. So I think the likes of Palo Alto, Fortinet and uh, Cloudflare, you know, um, they're building very strong moats to then they, then they can leverage great profitability from that and, and not be marginalized. It's been uh, amazing. I've learned uh, a ton here uh, about network security. Um, if our listeners has gotten this far, I bet they've heard the first uh, episode, uh, a general introduction to cybersecurity, or uh, they they know somewhat about uh, cybersecurity already. Um, we're going to do a couple of more episodes covering uh, endpoint uh, security. Uh, covering uh, identity and um, and help me out. Cloud security. Cloud security, yes. Um, in a similar way and look at the companies uh, competing in uh, those spaces. And I'm really looking forward to it. And um, thanks a lot, uh, Simon and Jordan. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's a, it's a pleasure as always having a chat with you and um, talking about cybersecurity. It's great. Yeah, always a pleasure uh, to be speaking with you.